I invite you to open in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. There's an oft-used phrase. I'm sure you know the end of it. I will believe it when I see it. We say that about lots of things. Uh, promises of telemarketers or friends that'll say, well, I got this great deal for you, but I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, people who say they might uh, love you. You say, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. There's so many things in this life where there's just this natural inclination to go, I need to see it in order to believe it. Because we don't have that much faith to believe the guy on the other end of the phone. We just simply don't have the faith. We don't have the facts. We don't have the, the hopefully we don't have the trust for a stranger on the phone to just hand over all your money. Or the person in the foreign country who loves you and needs you to fly them here. We don't have the faith, hopefully, to give over all of that trust uh, to that person. I'll believe it when I see it. The, the problem with the Old Testament Israelites is often they needed to see. They needed to see so, so often where they felt that God was not there or had abandoned them because they couldn't see. And incredibly so, because... God did appear to them in so many ways, so many times, through so many examples. But it seemed to not be good enough. He, he would appear in the pillar of smoke and fire to lead them. But yet, ah, does God really care? Is he really leading us? Does he really love us? They, they would often be looking for, well, where is he? If he's not appearing in some of these miraculous ways, the people seem to go, well... Can I trust anything? Can I trust this God at all? And so then they were desperate for something to see. So desperate that when Moses was up on the mountain, what were they doing? They were busy constructing a golden calf so they could see God. How ridiculous is that? All that they had known to be true about God and they come up with a golden calf? That that's the God who saved them? That's the God who delivered them from Egypt? That that's the God who made everything? That's it? A golden calf. This is your God, says Aaron. It's ridiculous. Time and time again, they wanted to see God so desperately that they did no favors to who God is or what he is like. They would try to create an idol, an image, a, a carved thing that represented God, but it failed Every time. Every time through all of history, people have been desperate to try to put God in a box. Can we paint a picture of God? An old man with a big white beard and flowing robes with a staff in his hand. That's God the Father, isn't it? No. Or, or many people who would eventually worship the Son and say, that must be God. Or the waves, or whatever hundred million gods the Hindus worship. They're trying to put a picture to God, something they can hold on to and touch and look at. Trying to put an image to the invisible. Well, thanks be to God, that though he is invisible in all of his ways, he was seen. It's kind of like, if I was to tell you, draw a picture of the wind, but you're not allowed to draw a picture of what the wind does or how the wind operates or what the wind causes. How do you draw a picture of the wind without showing its effect? You're, you know, swiggly lines. Well, no, no, no. Don't show it moving. Don't show it acting in any way. Draw a picture of the wind. You cannot. 
It is invisible. It is unseen except for in its effects. And so, so many people through history have tried to draw this image of the invisible God and have failed and failed miserably and then been let down time and time again because the image doesn't do what they had hoped. It doesn't bring them fulfillment. It doesn't bring them joy. And it doesn't even give them a true picture of who God is or what he is like. The problem of not seeing is a problem. What happens then is what uh, Paul describes in Romans 1, that the people claiming to to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of God uh, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They became fools. But here, some 2,000 years ago, we have Christ who came into the world not as something new. Christ did not begin to exist in that moment. He is the invisible God now made seen. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 15 with me. God's word says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is the image of the invisible. The image, the imprint, the exact thing that you can look at and say that is God. Not it's like God. Not not that might be a good representation of or an artistic spin on God. He is the exact imprint of God because we know that Christ is not just like a a holy man that God happened to pick and say, you look good enough. You you can be my image. You can be my reflector. Like, Like you and I, if we are believers in Christ, we are to be his ambassadors. We are not him. We are poor ambassadors we are or we are bad image bearers uh, we even see that in adam right adam was made in the image of god to reflect the, the character and the nature and the goodness of god but yet in sin broke that image the, the mirror that would once reflect what the the goodness of god looked like down to the earth down to creation it would cause a reflection has been shattered Shattered until Christ came bodily. And here we have the image, the exact imprint of when people look at Christ, they see God. Not because he's just a good mirror, but because he is God himself. People needed to see the God who was near. The God who was loving. The God who was full of justice. And wrath towards sin. We, we needed to see that. And here we see it in Christ. And it's incredible to think. Because obviously 
when it says uh, there in verse 19, in him the fullness of God was pleased, uh, yeah, was pleased to dwell bodily. Is that there? Um, yeah. And, and so the, the reality is it's not that Christ's body is the exact of, oh, that's what God is like in heaven. So if you look at Jesus' nose, that's what the Father looks like in heaven. He has his dad's nose. That's not what it means that, that he represented the perfect body of God. God is spirit. He is without form. He is, as it says, invisible. He is the invisible God. In, in John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God. And then in 1 John 4, it says, again, no one has ever seen God. What's amazing, though, is they've seen the effects of God. They've seen the power of God. They have seen the ability and the character of God in glimpses, even throughout history. Prior to the coming of Christ, God could be seen in glimpses. He could be seen in his effects and the power. But he himself had not yet come Personally, he'd come through many appearances in forms of angels and a pillar of fire and a burning bush. But he himself had not yet come to, to dwell, to, to live among, to be as one with the, his people. But uh, he, it's not that he had not revealed himself. It's not that he had not been seen before Christ had come. People wanted to see him and he says, you have seen me. In Romans chapter 1, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. What can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made. He says, so they are without excuse. If, if the people say, we've never seen God, Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, yes, you have. You have enough evidence of God, his existence and his in, in incredible, invisible attributes, his divine power, his divine nature and eternal power. You have enough of that evidence just in the created world that you cannot ignore God, that you cannot say God is not powerful and God is not creative, and God is not full of knowledge. He says, you're without excuse because of the creation that's around you. God has shown himself to you. He's shown himself. The invisible God has shown himself in glimpses enough that they're without excuse. But then, but then Christ has now come. How much more are the people without excuse? For, for those who might have said, well, I, I didn't really see, or I was blind, and, and I couldn't understand the trees, or I had no knowledge of creation. Well, I don't know science. He says, the excuses are done. The excuses are over. There is no more excuse, because God, although he could be seen in creation, was not complete. It wasn't a perfect image of him. Creation also was affected by the fall. It was a shattered mirror. It was broken. Things that were supposed to be beautiful and reflective of God we're broken in the fall. Enter Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, in these last, Hebrews 1, verses 2 and 3, says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Sustaining all things by the power of his word. He is the exact expression of the nature of God. Not just some, a picture, right? Like you might look at a picture of someone and be like, oh, they look like a nice person. That doesn't give you any indication of their nature. You don't know their nature because of an image, because of a, a picture. It could be brutal and just put a smile on for the camera. Here, Jesus comes as the exact imprint of his nature, his heart. Who he is and what he is like and what he loves and what he hates. And so when we look at Christ, we get the full view of who God is. Not just at the fact that he's creative or that he loves people or that, he, that he's powerful to sustain us through oxygen. You get much deeper than that at the heart of God. At who God is. What he's like when you see Jesus interact with the outcast. That's what God is like. That, that is God's nature. That is God's heart to care for all people. Uh, societal uh, standing does not matter with God. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor to God. It's showing the nature of God. Your wealth does not matter. It doesn't matter. Eventually, we see in Christ also your nation or your upbringing or your family heritage. That doesn't matter to God. You were made by him. And so we see that in Christ as he... As he Breaks all of the um, social outcasts, social rules at the time where, you know, oh, you, the Jews don't talk to Gentiles. Well, Jesus is there talking with a Gentile woman at the well, right? Who, who's broken many of God's laws in many ways, and there he is. This is the nature of God on display. This is what God is like. He cares for people, and he longs to be in right relationship with people. doesn't matter where they're from, how much they're worth. Or how sinful and dirty they are. He and his nature on display is Jesus. Is Jesus the exact expression of the nature of God? In Colossians 2.9 it says, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. The nature is captured in one man. One man who is Human, 100%, but the nature of God, the, the desires of God, the will of God are captured in Jesus Christ, the man. That's where he dwells. Almost like when we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we are compelled by the Holy Spirit to move. Well, Christ, the man, was fully compelled. His, his full nature was fully God. Not just like uh, a touch of God, not just... Uh, impressions from God like we have. But fully God was his nature in Christ. So that so much so that Jesus himself said in John 14, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. You don't know what he's like. You don't know what he looks like. It doesn't matter if he had gray hair or black hair. What matters is his heart. What matters is his nature. And so Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen him. And it's so interesting because some people want to pit the Old Testament God against Jesus and say, look at how different they are, right? The God of justice and wrath and war. And oh, Jesus is so loving and, and this. Well, the cross would not have happened if Jesus didn't care about justice against sin. God is God. He was and he is and he is to come and he, there's no change in God. And we see that in Christ. 
We see his heart that God has always had mercy towards the people who would hear him out. Mercy again and again towards those failures of his children. When he would tell, tell them a line in the sand, don't cross this, this is not good for you. And 30 seconds later, they're saying, Wait, where was that line again? Or where's the line so we can blur it? Or where's the, the fence so we can hop it? And yet he comes back around, forgives them with grace, and draws it again and says, there it is. Let me walk with you. Let me send a prophet to you because you're, you're not hearing me. I'm going to send another prophet so you can hear me louder. This has always been God. is caring for his people, trying to draw them away from sin, draw them into right relationship with himself. It's not just when Christ came. He is just putting on display bodily. For those who were there, they could see. It's incredible. They finally now have seen God. They've seen him. Here in Colossians, it says he is the image of the invisible. It's kind of like trying to draw the wind. How do you draw the love of God without drawing its effects? Without drawing uh, how it moves and operates? How do you draw the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the hatred of God towards sin? How do you draw that? It's not about being drawn. It's about being admired and and changed by as we look at Christ. We look to these invisible attributes of God, his his power and his, uh, his knowledge, his omnipresence. And we look then to Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. And it's incredible because some people want to believe that Jesus is this totally separate thing from God. Almost like uh, just a representation or just a prophet or just a good example. And they, they neglect the, the divinity or the, the godness of Jesus. But Colossians 1 doesn't allow that. It doesn't allow you to, to push the divinity of Jesus aside. That he's just, oh, he's just a good representation of God. Or he's the perfect representation of God, but not quite God. It doesn't allow that. As it carries on in this passage, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. On that phrase, firstborn, doesn't mean he began or he had a beginning. When you read the word firstborn in the Bible, think Old Testament. What is the firstborn? The firstborn is the one who inherits all things of the Father. So Jesus is the one who inherits all things of the Father. That is his role in the Trinity. doesn't mean he was born or he began. just means he is the preeminent one in the family. He is now, as we know, the, the second and great Adam. Adam was supposed to be our federal head, our representative, and he failed. So now we're all under Adam until we now have this new one who has come, Christ. So... Carrying on, it says, for by him, so again, not to neglect his divinity, this passage won't allow it. It says, for by him, Jesus, all things were created. It wasn't just by God the Father up in heaven who we're never going to see or understand or comprehend. It was by Jesus himself, the the pre-incarnate one, the one who has always existed by him. And now he's walking on the creation that he had made. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible, the trees, and the invisible, love. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. 
He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. As I just read that, you think about like the privilege the disciples had to, to, to walk with this man who they could hug and admire. And yet here it just describes him as all things hold together in him. Like the, the reason the world is still spinning as it is is because of him. He is the one holding it together, and yet there he is, caring for the woman with the bleeding disorder, seeing the boy who's having a seizure. And yet all things are being held together by him, and he doesn't stop and say, guys, I'm too busy for you. I have too much on my plate. This world is on my shoulders. He stops and he stoops, and there you see the heart of God. There you see the power of God, the abilities of God. They are so vast and incredible. It carries on in Colossians 1 there. In all things, uh, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. The Alpha and the Omega. He is the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent, first, foremost, priority of our hearts, of our lives. He is preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God. Not just a representation, not just a painting, not just a portrait, but all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace with all that had been broken, all that was hostile, all that was now separated, he is making peace by the blood of his cross. That's what he came to do. He didn't come just so that people could finally say, oh, now I've seen him, I believe. Because you know how many people saw him and did not believe? It was not about being seen. He came to make peace by the blood of his cross. To stand as your representative before the holy throne of God, the Father, and, and bear that weight. That's why he came. As man's representative and as God, he was unlike any other we'd ever seen. He was God in the flesh. Here to dwell among us. So when you think about God the Son, Jesus, coming into the world, of course we think about his perfect life and what that meant for us and his righteousness. But We think about his death in our place and him rising again victorious over sin and the grave. But more than that, his coming into the world ought to be a catalyst in our hearts for some significant idol crushing. Because we also, like the Israelites and like all the other false religions of the world, set up idols. And Christ crushes them all. The image of the invisible God. There is no room in our hearts to make up what God is like. There is no room in our hearts to make up little idols about what God is like or, or what he might do or might not do. There's no room in our hearts Christ coming into the world, the invisible God being made visible, being seen, crushes those idols. Consider some of the uh, 
idols in our hearts that we make room for, even some false versions of God. Sometimes we think that there's this God who doesn't allow or shouldn't allow suffering, but only bring ease and comfort. That's a false idol that Christ crushes. When we see him, that, oh, people who want to think that God is only about ease and comfort, look to Christ, the greatest sufferer there was, the man of sorrows. That crushes the idol of this God who only brings ease and comfort. That, that image is gone. Crush that God if that's a false God in your heart. Or the God who would never love me because of all that I've done or, or the dirt that I, is on my heart or the, the guilt in me. That that's a God in your heart, a false idol. Christ crushes that. As he looks at all and says, come to me, all who are heavy laden. Doesn't matter. Oh, wait, you have that in your life? Never you mind. No, no, no. Christ said, come all. He, he, the apostle Paul, the murderer of Christ himself said, why are you persecuting me? And yet Paul himself converted, made new, brought into the family of God. That idol of a God who wouldn't love me because of X, Y, or Z is crushed. That's a false idol and a false God that we sometimes make an image of in our heart or our lives. God would never love me or God can't love me again because of, because of what? Look to Christ and allow that idol to be crushed. Or the God who was once for me but now is against me, who has left me, who has forsaken me, that idol is crushed. In Christ, we see a God who is near, at great cost to himself. As it describes in Philippians, he, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He, he set aside the glories of heaven to come and dwell to, to assure us that he will be near us and with us, not because we are lovely, not because we have it all together, not because we've kept, uh, kept up with X, Y, and Z, but because he has a plan. He has a purpose. And so that crushes the, the idols in our heart of a, of a false God, a false image that we've maybe painted. There's so many other images, maybe sometimes the things that you struggle with about God. Why would God ever dot, dot, dot? All of those little idols that you, you can bring before Christ and say one at a time, he is crushing those idols because those are false images that we've painted or that the enemy has allowed our hearts to paint or or scriptures we maybe have warped but christ clearly crushes them because christ is the image the exact imprint the perfect expression of the nature of god which crushes all the false narratives in our heart and in our world christ has come to crush those because he is the image of the invisible god God is seen. And seeing God in this case does do a lot of work. It does a lot of idol crushing and faith building. Because we now see what God is like. We have seen it. Though we read the Old Testament and we, in hindsight, get to see all of the goodness of God, all of the, the mercy, all of his care, and all of his um, perfection and his righteousness and justice, we get to see it, but sometimes we still don't believe. But when we have eyes to see that Christ has come, we have eyes to see the glorious God in Christ, it builds our faith as it crushes the idols which hinder us from him. He came to reconcile all things, 
The, the distance that was between us and God, the, the brokenness, the enmity, he was reconciling that. Let us come to him and be reconciled, brought back near to God. That's why Christ has come. So that idols may lose their grip in our life and in the world who sees with eyes to see, with eyes of faith. And so we pray for our own hearts. We pray for the hearts of our loved ones. God, open our eyes that we may behold you as you are. Let us see and believe Christ. Let us have faith in who he is. Not just what he's done and how it makes me feel, but who he is. So that that may crush the things that hinder my relationship with you. That they may be demolished at the instant I see the exact imprint of who you are. I get to see him. Not only in the history books, but with a heart of faith. Hard to believe that he came with me in mind. And that when he died on the cross, that, that my sin was present there. That he might take it upon himself. Me. Not just generally, oh, dying for sin. Dying for my sin. Name the list of it. It was there, present to Christ. And that there he displayed his love and affection towards me and his his power to crush sin. It has been seen. So then let us remember as the invisible, as he was made manifest, that this is the God who is with us. Devastation or delight. This is the God who loves us even when we are unlovely. This is the God who is for us and will never leave us. This is a God who sees each and every one of us. And there's nothing too little in our lives that he doesn't care about. This is the God who is more powerful than we could ever imagine. And I, I love reading the gospel accounts because again and again, the people are left astonished. How could it be? How could he? How could that have happened? He has come to to put even glimmers of his power on display and the people are left awestruck. May it be so for you and me. As we look at Christ and and this Christmas season, we, we often think about the baby Jesus coming. Which is fine. Because he did come into this world in the flesh in a, in a way that was unheard of, that we would, have nev- we would have never thought of. We thought he should just come valiantly on a horse, right? And yet he came as a babe to display the nature of God. Humility and love and care and tenderness. This is the exact imprint of the nature of God as God is seen. Do we need to see it to believe it? No. Because as Jesus even said to Thomas, blessed are those who have believed and who have not seen with their eyes. May God give us hearts of faith to see him. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that though because of our sinfulness, there is a chasm between us and you and our knowledge that is so limited and our, uh, our comprehension of, of even the Old Testament that we have, we, we are so limited. And yet, you have shown yourself to us, not just in your creation, which gives us no excuse, but now in your Son, Christ, who has come into the world. We see you, and we want to be like you. We want to be near you. We do thank you for the gospel that is the, the ability, the, the option, the um, the transformation of our lives and our hearts, which would bring us back to you. Thank you 
that you are seen to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.